We had an all-time junior hockey moment over the weekend in Everett, and our good friend Andy Eide happened to be on the radio call. I think we'll just kind of let this uh, this call speak for itself here. Welcome back here to the Angel of the Winds Arena. Tied at one after a period of hockey between the T-Birds and Everett, and you know we were complaining there in the first period about being cold in this building, and then they bring out the dogs, and the one just rolls around on the ice, and has a lot of fun. We were a couple of wimps apparently up here, Andy. Yeah, he's still going. He has got a coat of fur on, but he's still going crazy. He's loving it. He's rolling around on the ice. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, now he's going to the bathroom on the ice. Uh-oh. Breaking news here. That is a first in my hockey career. I have never seen a dog go number two. Wow, it is number two, and it's a lot of number two. This is going to be a chore to clean up. Oh, there's oh. so many jokes to be made that this probably is, aren't appropriate. This is when you wish it was TV and not radio. Oh, that was that was perfectly on time and cue. Andy, how do you feel knowing that <laughs> you was, were on the radio call for one of the greatest moments? I feel very fortunate. That yeah. clip's going on my resume. Is you know, sure, highlights definitely. my broadcasting career there. It's incredible that you happened to be describing what the dog was doing <laughs> leading up to... Him or her opting to go number two right on the ice in hey, front of all the fans. It was small dog race night in Everett. You, uh-huh. have, to, you have to talk about that and call it. It was oh my gosh. unbelievable. It was really funny. I the love crowd the crowd. Was, the crowd, oh, crowd loved it. Nuts. Yeah, that dog was excited. He, yeah. was, he was running around crazy. There's video of it, too, if you video check online, uh, our yeah. Twitter accounts. People yeah. got their phones up pretty quick and yeah. started recording it. You mentioned in your little audio clip there that there are a lot of more inappropriate jokes that you wish you could share. Can, can you share some of those now? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what, what those would be. Yeah. Maybe right, right, to be honest with you, maybe uh, boy, what a shitty game this is. Oh, oh <laughs> boy! I also I liked your your tweet that period number two yes. was about to get underway. That was pretty good. I, I should, after the game, Seattle won. It was a very entertaining game. Uh-huh. Uh, Seattle's uh, Thunderbirds athletic trainer Phil Varney said, "Hey, we're one and zero in Everett when a dog gets on the ice." <laughs> <laughs> Sound of Hockey episode 63. We are begrudgingly calling this one the Brad Marchand episode. I felt like we just didn't really have a choice. I mean, he is obviously the best number 63 in hockey. Maybe ever. <sighs> yeah, may- uh, maybe. I think it's yeah. it's up there. Yeah. Because there were not many others. But... I'm not a fan. It sounds like you guys have been coming around a little bit. I'm to up liking to him a little bit. Marshy. What's that about? I find him entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he I was mean, in the news this past week. What was he talking about with concussion stuff? Well, he got pulled out of a game. I forget who they were playing uh, for a concussion protocol, but it was a little delayed. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like the fact that he got delayed, and he afterwards accused the concussion spotter of taking his time because he was too busy eating cheeseburgers and pizza. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Because I, I assume that's what concussion protocol guys <laughs> I just have this picture of a guy known there for. in the press box like just chowing down food. Like, oh, maybe with his mouth full. Mm. Oh, that guy might look have a concussion down there. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. He, la- he later apologized yeah. for that and said, <laughs> you know, these guys are in there for, or these people are in there for our safety and he shouldn't he shouldn't have gotten and they have a protocol that yeah. you have to follow yeah yeah uh either way sound of hockey episode 63 the brad marchand episode i am darren brown aka at darren fun brown on the twitter joined as always by andy Ide. hello andy how's it going i'm at andy Ide on the twitter and john Barr. hello john hello everyone i'm nhl to seattle on the twitter we're coming to you from bar down studios in seattle where it is not a beautiful day i've been you know, I, I've been commenting a lot that we've had some really beautiful weather while we've been recording. Today is not one of those days. It's Sunday. It's gray. It's gross. This is what you anticipate <laughs> from uh, a, a winter day in uh, in Seattle. Uh, so I'm very happy to be down in a basement with you two gentlemen recording this podcast today. So We're happy to have you. Yes. Yes. I <laughs> uh, hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I know yeah. I certainly did. And uh, yeah, let's get back to it here. So uh, first off, we did have a review come in this week from B Kennedy five two four eight four. Good, good, good. Interesting. Uh, I, I'm imagining like Lame is like prisoner number. Um, he says great. He well, or you're she, not a prisoner, that's right? Not, that's listener number. Yeah. He or she says great content. Uh, the guys do a great job of providing insight into the growth of hockey in the PNW. Also discussing what's on the horizon with NHL Seattle. Keep up the great work. Thank you for that, B Kennedy. Uh, still nothing from your guy Patrick, unless this is. Patrick, but that doesn't make much sense to me. Swerve so, tactic. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, he, he allegedly says he gave a review, so we'll have to kind of keep monitoring. Maybe I'll believe it when I see it. Somewhere out there. Maybe it's being uh, monitored or, or screened. Oh, content. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Wait uh, on that. <laughs> we'll keep an eye out for it, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> we'll start with the biggest NHL news of the past week here. Now, we definitely had spoken about it a little bit because as we were recording last week, the tweets from Akeem Aliou came out saying that uh, – that Bill Peters, the coach of the Calgary Flames, had called him a very bad racial slur many years ago. Uh, We think about 10 years ago when he was in Rockford with the Ice Hogs. So ultimately, it did blow up into a big story. Uh, NHL was investigating, Calgary Flames were investigating, uh, and so Bill Peters eventually submits what seems like kind of a forced resignation. So he's no longer the coach of the Flames. We kind of predicted that that would be the case, right, that this would end up coming back to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a little odd to me that it took essentially 10 years, right, like of, of something that he said when he was with another organization ultimately gets him not quite fired but kind of forced to resign. Um, it's just a weird, uncomfortable situation. Uh, a byproduct of this thing happening is that also when Bill Peters was behind the bench in Carolina, uh, this player, M- Mikal Jordan, looks like Michael Jordan in name, but that's not what the, the name is. I think it's Mikal Jordan is how you say it. Uh, so he alleged that, that Bill Peters had uh, had some physical abuse against him during a game. Like he punched him, kicked him. Yeah. And there was another unnamed Carolina Hurricane player who apparently was struck. So obviously not a good thing. What's uncomfortable about that is that that kind of ropes in uh, our general manager here, Ron Francis, and by our, I mean NHL Seattle, because he was the general manager at the time, right? So questions arose about how he handled it. Uh, Eventually, Bill Peters was given an extension even after that incident. So what should we make of this? Well, I mean, for one, it was confirmed, like Rod Brendamore, and I think we have audio on that. Rod Brendamore confirmed that the incident actually took place. And Brendamore was an assistant for Peters. That's right. With Carolina when that when the physical abuse uh, stuff happened. Yeah, and according to Rod, and later confirmed by others, that it was handled and never happened again. Right. Which is probably, if you step back, that's probably the most important thing, right? There's no more physical abuse. Um and, I mean, and, one time should probably be enough, right? But it's awkward for us now, right? Because we want to be, one for everyone involved with NHL Seattle. Um, and mind you, we don't work for the team, but we very much want to see the team be successful. You know, we want to see Ron Francis be successful. We believe in him as, as the GM of this team. We're very excited to have him. Um, and so it's uncomfortable to see somebody here this early roped into, I mean, I guess you'd kind of call it a scandal, right? Or it's controversy. Yeah, controversy in any way. But, but it is what it is. And so... Um, yeah, and then through this whole message, also it came out that Peter Carmanos, which is the former owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, who was the owner at the time of the incident, yeah, um, speaking to Seattle Times, kind of said, "Oh, I would have fired him in a heartbeat." And you know, there's some other weird stuff in that in those quotes. And Carmanos, I don't want to, I don't want to like attack Carmanos at all, but he is a little bit of a credibility issue with you know moving the team and he's been involved in lawsuits with his family about wrestling control of the team or forcing them to sell the team but you know they took it seriously uh and then after that came out they being who the, the management so it would be uh ron francis and it was escalated to ron francis and and according to rod and ron they confirmed that they they handled it right and it never happened again which again most important thing um, so Ron stayed mostly quiet as an NHL Seattle. Eventually he put out an official statement. Uh, it says it comes from NHL public relations and it's the official statement from Ron Francis it says when I was general manager in Carolina, after a game, a group of players and hockey staff members made me aware of the physical incidents involving two players and Bill Peters. I took this matter very seriously. I took immediate action to address the matter and briefed ownership. To my knowledge, no further such inc- incidents occurred. It would have been inappropriate for me to comment publicly while an active investigation was being conducted by another team. I will not comment on this matter further. So definitely NHL Seattle is hoping that everybody just moves on from this. I mean, at the end of the day, the outcome that people wanted was that Bill Peters would know. Well, I mean, by people, I mean the people that were calling for it, right? Wanted him to not be the coach anymore in Calgary, and that's what they got. So yeah. now do we move forward? Do we move away from this and put it in the rear view? I mean, I, I, I personally would hope so, but well, um, that's just it, me. The the things that, that strike me uh, are the comments from Rob Brindamore, who was w- involved and was there at the time that, this, that the physical abuse happened. I think, And I think we should separate the physical abuse that that's, seems to be the firestorm here locally with the, with the racism stuff that happened earlier. Um, but as far as the physical the physical contact with the player, if you if you listen to, to Brindamore's statement... I'm going to just start because I know the questions are 
coming here and, and talking about the incident that, you know, with Bill, uh, for sure happened, the two, two issues that are in question. Uh, but w to me, it's what happened after that I'm proud about, actually, the way the players handled it and the way the sports staff handled it, which was bring it to management right away. And then management handled it directly and never heard of it again and never saw anything else after that. So it was definitely dealt with, uh, in my opinion, uh, correctly. And that's the last I need to talk about it because it's not part of our issue. We've definitely moved past that. So what strikes me about with that is how he says that he was proud of the way management handled it, that, that it was handled. And we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if there was a warning, a fine, or whatever. But Peters apparently apologized, and, and everybody moved on. So was that right or wrong? Should should more have happened? That's that's the question that I don't know that we can really answer. And, I, and I'm okay with people thinking that mm -hmm. there should have been more. I understand and, why people yeah. would want more and, to happen. And yeah. that's that's fine, and I'm not trying to change anybody's minds. But in, in my humble opinion, based on the limited information I have, I, I can understand why he didn't get fired as well, right? Um, these are workplace issues, right? And, you know, all of us, when looking at us, have all been in work environments where some things are sensitive and HR related, and you mm -hmm. can't really comment to future employers or uh, comment publicly about things. And so I think you're seeing some of that is like, there's only so much that they can actually share publicly as much as fans and, and other media people want Answers. more context and, mm -hmm. and details. You can't, right? Like, we've all been in work and we environments. May never, we may never get them. Right, and I'm not sure we're entitled to yeah. either. Um, yeah. Again, like, the big thing is it didn't happen again, and it seems like some people were comfortable with how it was handled internally without knowing a lot of those details. And I think a positive takeaway from this is that this has shed light on this issue on a larger scale. And we're hearing of other coaches now being involved in some of these these incidents that are out there now yeah. as well from different organizations. And it seems that there is a there is a – a part of the hockey culture where this stuff was happening and and that maybe now because this has come out to light and this has been yeah. this is out there in the forefront that we can start to change that and not have these both both of these issues the racism issue and and this physical contact with players or physical then, abuse issue uh, you're spot on and then when we step back from seattle right like like you said the, we're going to hear more of these issues yep. right and it's good because as bad as it might paint hockey these things need to be fixed right we're not going to just shuffle people around and hope that the issue goes away we need to fix this issue, and people are feeling empowered to come forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, realize it all came from... It all goes back to the Mitch Marner thing with Mike yeah. Babcock that came out after yeah. Babcock was let go. Yeah, and, and then people start feeling yep. empowered to kind of come up with these, mm -hmm. telling these stories that have been out there for a while, but people have been holding in. So I expect there to be more of it, and, and you know, I'm, I'm hoping there's not that many stories, but the reality is there probably is. And with so many teams, and whether it be junior hockey or... Um, college hockey, there's bound to be more stories that come out, mm -hmm. and hopefully we can ha create a system that, that addresses these issues when they come up, because I don't think you can eliminate these issues altogether, because they're just going to manifest and, and happen. It's like it's like I wish we could stop domestic violence, yeah. but the reality is we can't. We yeah. just need to have mechanisms in place and to support. minimize it and, and fix them as quickly as possible and, and address support, them. support yeah. people who yeah. have been involved in it or victims of it. And I, you know, just, just reading reactions out there, you know, online, which always isn't the best gauge, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of like strong feelings about all of this. And I think rightfully can, so. Yeah, and I think we can all agree on a couple things. We can all agree that the racism has no place in hockey. Yeah, I think we can all agree that there should not be any kind of physical uh, abuse or contact between players and and coaches and that kind of power dynamic. I think we can all agree on that. I think where it gets a little dicier is how do you address this issue or issue or what do you do to people who ten years ago or five years ago had these things you know were involved in these issues? How do you handle them properly? What's the right way to go forward? I don't. I honestly don't have the answer. I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't know that I settled on an answer. And I understand how people can can go on either side of it. Yeah, and, and there's some speculation that the NHL is like, well, they, they are continuing to investigate yes, and talking to certain individuals. And what might be an outcome here is that there's some kind of whistleblower mechanism, right? Not And whistleblower might have a negative reporting requirement. Yeah, yeah, if there's an incident, like it's for one. It's got to go up to the league. Yeah, or there's there's a way of doing it discreetly because a lot of a lot of players worry about being blacklisted yeah mm -hmm. being like their ice time being taken yep. away or or, or deprioritized and and all that and and they they worry about that outcome so maybe there needs to be mechanisms to allow that to happen discreetly because it doesn't sound like there was any of that 
in place up until now? Like, was there a requirement for the for anybody to to report this up to the I, to the league level? I don't I think would, there was. I, it doesn't sound like it. You mm. would think we would have heard something on that, but yeah. I don't know for sure. Yeah. And and John, I think you're spot on. I think there will be other things like this that come up. Maybe not having having anything to do with the Bill Peters stuff, right? But like somebody, somebody else, yeah, they're going to come up. There already have been some. Yeah. Uh, we do want to move on, though, at least here on the show, uh, to an interview, which we didn't even mention at the top of the show, <laughs> that we have an interview to share with you guys this week. Andy, I'll let you set this one up, since uh, I actually wasn't involved in this one. It was actually Andy and John, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm just praying that the audio comes out okay, because <laughs> I was in no way involved with this one. Uh, yeah, John and I went out solo, without without Darren or Wade's assistance to record. Uh, mm-hmm. But we sat down with Russ Farwell, who is right now currently the, the vice president of hockey operations for the Seattle Thunderbirds, but he, he's been a big figure and not just the Thunderbirds, but local hockey scene for since the late 80s. He's, for a long time, was a general manager of the Thunderbirds. Uh, he was also the owner for a long time. He spent three years in the NHL. He was the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. So he's been around, and it's a really interesting talk. We talk about you know the early days of Seattle, what, what the hockey community was like, uh, their move from the key arena to the Shower Center, some of the political aspects of that, which I found interesting, and, and then kind of what they thought about the NHL coming here. Good stuff. So here it is, Russ Farwell. teams from I looked up your record and, but what what made you want to go into the front office you know I think uh, it, the medicine hat had really struggled um, for a few years and they were looking for a new start in a new direction and I got the chance to to go there I think I was 24 um, to be the GM and it was that something that you were kind of drawn to is it that's different than coaching obviously you're putting the team together and... you know it is but you're looking at it from today's window in those days I mean there was only we, we had a trainer coach GM so <laughs> you were I mean that was mm-hmm. literally we had a secretary a trainer coach to GM and and I had to really push to add a PR guy uh, <laughs> and a marketing guy so uh, you know it was it was a whole different bit the it was a different animal in those days. Or I think we added a part-time assistant coach. Uh, um, <laughs> no goalie coaches time like there, you have now. But, Oh, no. There was none, none of that. Lots of volunteers, maybe? A few, yeah. The one thing about being in a Canadian city is you had, you know, a wealth of people, uh, I think, for a while. When Bob Basson played for us, Hank Basson was our goalie coach. He'd come okay. down once in a while, and he worked <laughs> with us. And he wasn't official, but he was a pretty good resource, whereas... Down here, it's a little harder because you don't didn't have as many people um, that just want to be draw, part of yeah, it. yeah. That you could draw from and stuff. So that that part is different, but every community is different. But it was just a different different animal, you know. It was uh, totally different. So it was a chance to be the boss and to to kind of, and it was a tremendous amount of scouting at that time. Uh, uh, that was even before the Bantam draft, yeah, so, so it was a guys, wide right? open yeah. system. So, uh, yeah, but the good thing about that was you could go out, you could find a player that day. You know, <laughs> if you went out and scouted a game and you uh-huh. saw a guy and liked him, you could add him to your list and, and the uh, well, if he was good enough or old enough, but uh-huh. uh, but you could you could add a player that day and get gotcha. him and stuff. So yeah. it was a wholly different system. What were you thinking like long term? Like you wanted to work in hockey, or was it just kind of an opportunity presented itself and you'll keep going until? Yeah, I wanted to work in hockey, and yeah. I think everyone dreams as far as they can. But it was uh, at that time getting that job at my age in the Western Hockey League was you know a pretty good opportunity. So I was just dug into it. You know, <laughs> you want to do as good as you can, and then you'll see what what happens. Yeah. So you you, you built some pretty good teams there. You you won a couple titles, and yeah, we had a real good group, real good uh, staff, and uh, uh, and all volunteer scouts. Uh, but uh, of those guys, I mean, we had you know I think we had. Uh, Keith Wilson, who went on to be PA's head guy, we had Ray Dudra, who was uh, went on to be Spokane's head guy. For his, we had Blair Reed, who now is still scouting pro. Uh, uh, that that was our scouting staff, and uh, and, and so we we had a real good group of guys, and and uh, 
and and that would help because like i say you could act fine players when we had 100 120 players Ooh. at uh, at training <laughs> camps you know because we you know we brought in all the guys and you didn't there was no video and there's none of that so you had to see them so you had to, the guys would come in and you'd have long camps and they'd go from eight in the morning till <laughs> eight, nine at night and and uh yeah it was it was just a different different it, animal so you win the memorial cup and the next year you come here what what how did that happen what what drew you to seattle after having that success in medicine what was attractive about Seattle because they weren't quite the the, 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 the organization that they are now. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we kind of, we won two cups back to back and uh, that's, a, there's some, some things uh, that kind of happened and then and, and I just thought, Jesus, like, you know, this was a good opportunity. It was available and, uh, and looked like the right time. Now we had uh, Jamie Huscroft on our podcast and he was here before you. you. You traded for him in medicine hat, but mm-hmm. he was in Seattle. And he said that back then Seattle was kind of the, like the bad news bears. Just as an organization, they weren't quite what you know what you guys got going now. Uh, what, what were your first impressions when you when you arrived? Well, I knew, um, you know, I mean, at the league meetings, every single meeting, three times a year, we'd have the Seattle update <laughs> because they were hanging on yeah. the you know on the edge of maybe not being able to keep going and and uh, that kind of thing so i i sure knew the history and i knew but the ownership had changed and a guy by the name of earl hale had bought the team and they were really trying to to you know get it going so i think they had a year or two of of you know at least stable ownership type thing and uh and so you know the the thing with the team they were always underfunded um and they they so they'd they couldn't draw in the fall, so they'd head out on the do the whole prairies. Eleven, they'd come out there and play like eleven games. So they, yeah, so <laughs> they'd be two and thirteen to start the year, and then they'd have to crawl their way back into the race. And sometimes they could do it, and they'd make the playoffs, and sometimes they couldn't. But they did that year after year after year, and they were, you know, so yeah, they had a real questionable um, reputation. But um, Earl was a real good guy, and he wanted to, and he was funding it and he and he you know to be honest he never would have sold it and it would have been a i think we could have made it a real success and then the oil business crashed he had the one of the biggest seismic companies in alberta but it was finance and the oil just crashed and he he loved the team and he really wanted to and he was really going you know everything was going good and everything and then all of a sudden it just uh, and that's kind of what happened so you never know you know things things have different things happen you know you've kind of commented about the hockey culture back then where it kind of tough to draw in the fall um you go away to the NHL for a bit for four or five years, mm-hmm. and then you come back in 95. Did the hockey culture change at all between that time you left and came back, or was it still kind of a tough draw? Just talking about the Seattle hockey fan community back then. Well, it, they'd had they'd hosted the Memorial Cup, and uh, it still hadn't changed um, where the, the fall was tough to draw. Fridays in the fall were tough to play against football and it just was some of the unique things we had to get around but we'd had some uh, you know they, they'd drawn pretty good crowds before that key arena renovation and, and things were much much better than they were those previous years and, and so yeah it had changed a bit but it, it, uh, it still was tough we were still in you know our office was one spot our, we played downtown we practiced in that in the Kingsgate rink over there Kirkland. and yeah, yeah. And Kirkland. So we, we still had a lot of things to kind of get around and, and it was, uh, um, but, but I mean, even that was better than what used to be type thing, but we were so spread out. It was tough to build a team. It took longer here to put things together because your guys were so spread out. Once they headed out and hit that freeway after practice, your team automatically ended up in little groups because the guys up north and north north in the Linwood area were a group and the guys that were south of the rink they ended up in a group and it wasn't because they didn't like each other it was was 40 40 minutes uh travel time and they just uh they didn't have a lot of money and they couldn't they they just didn't so they we it was hard to build a team and get guys together we worked and worked to try and get everyone right in that right around uh around Linwood there once we settled there but it, it just uh there was just a lot of things getting around it but it had it had progressed but it hadn't we really couldn't do what we wanted to once they renovated 
Kirina, and, and that was a slow spiral that was unwell um, until we could put this together and got here. It, it was a, you know, we could see the writing on the wall type thing. We thought, we, we bargained with the city, we thought with the change in ownership and having a community group that we, Colin and I talk all the time, had we ever gotten the lease that the ladies basketball have, we maybe wouldn't even have moved. You know, that that they have a real favorable deal. We couldn't get anything like that. So we were struggling like crazy to bring so. And back when the Sonics were still here, I imagine you, did you have to defer to them first, like wait till the NBA schedule came out before. Oh you guys yeah, could... yeah, definitely. We we had no. I don't think we we maybe got our opening night, but we we had no dates until the basketball schedule. That's why the whole division on our side of the mountains we didn't schedule until uh, uh, in July because uh, that's when basketball, especially when they they as they got you know gets complicated, but as they got their TV deals and then they waited for TV to pick the matchups they wanted on tv so their schedule started to get later and later and that held held up our whole league because we couldn't finalize our schedule till we got the nba luckily there was another team it had only been us the league might not have waited but because portland had the same situation we we were sitting there similar yeah so speaking of key arena um i've heard you talk about the fan experience back in key arena post the mm-hmm, key, mm-hmm. key remodel can you for the people that haven't heard it like, what was that experience like for the fans? Well, it was terrible because you walked <laughs> in, and even if we had a real good crowd, everyone sat there and looked at that big gaping hole at the end of the rink. And unless you sat, the the good seat, the Americans like the 50-yard line, or they like right by the you know courtside in their minds. So they like, well, th- those weren't built... Um, so many of the seats were built facing a basketball arena, so they didn't, you actually had to sit a little askew in your seat (laughs) looking in order to see the whole rink because they were not focused to watch a hockey game. So I think there was a few seats in the corners, the, the corner that had seats, if you like to sit there, which... In Canada, those seats would sell right away. They weren't the the most popular here, (laughs) but uh, those were probably the best seats. But there were very few good seats in Key Arena, that's all I can tell you. (laughs) And and parking a lot of nights was more than our ticket because they fluctuated it if the if the opera was going and, oh, right. and uh, the, the grounds were busy, then they jacked the parking up, and some nights parking was 25 and our ticket was 20. And, the, <laughs> you know, that just it just wasn't a junior hockey experience, yeah. so it was a tough sell. So you, you said, said it was starting to spiral, and at some point you guys start thinking about your options and, and moving out of there and relocating the team. What, what How was that process go? Were there other cities besides Kent? Well, first of all, we, we you know, the Everett thing came up, Bill went to Everett, so we got, as it unfolded, we ended up putting together a group. We bought the team. We thought we would be, we could renegotiate and, and negotiate a deal because we had the local group and we were fighting to keep it, and, and that went nowhere. We couldn't get any concession. So we, um, um, once we decided, hey, this isn't going to work here, then we, was there other cities? We met with every single city on the east side. Um, we started in Kirk, we met with the mayor of Kirkland. We met with Bellevue. We met with uh, uh, Redmond. There wasn't any possibility there, but we'd met. We met with Tukwila. We met with uh, Auburn. Renton, we had some real traction and discussion with uh, that box store that's closed right next to City Hall there. There was a big site there, and that looked like, and that would have been a real good location because of the way the freeways meet and stuff. That would have, and, and uh, but that didn't really, uh, didn't come to be. And then we uh, we met with the Muckleshoots. We met with, uh, uh, we met with Kent once and had some real traction, and then it kind of went quiet um, for other reasons. We didn't understand. They had a change in uh, city manager and stuff, but we didn't know that. We thought they'd lost interest, but it had, you know, the, I think the port it got, the file got left on someone's desk and then a new guy came over. (laughs) Well, then we went on to Tacoma. We met with Tacoma. We were really excited about it. We had some good meetings. They were fully, they were going to build a small rink next to the dome and it went to the people and it failed miserably and and we they thought they were going to win so we were really excited about it to the point we were down planning and then that died then we came back to kent and then man it took off and away we went so that was uh 
How long of a process was that? How long is this time period all this has happened? Well, probably a year and a half. Okay. I mean, we were right on it. We yeah. were calling and working it right That's through. Quick. And, yeah. 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 And we uh, we had four or five meetings in in Renton, and I bet you we had whew, eight meetings in Tacoma. So it wasn't like they were one one shot meetings, but uh, and then we met with Kent, and they were gung ho. And John Hodgson was the new city manager, and he would, he said, "Hang on a minute." He walked out and <laughs> came back with maps and started <laughs> plotting where it might go. And and uh, the first time we met with Kent, Adrian Hanauer, we we had a lot of exchange then because they were. We were talking about maybe sharing some expenses. He's actually came to the meeting with us and introduced us to the city of Kent. And then once we were at it for about 10, 15 minutes, he excused himself and walked out. But he, he really helped us uh, the first time when we came to what, Kent. What was he involved in back then? Well, we were talking about sharing some office space and, and trying to jointly cut expenses. And this was before they were big league, before yeah. they were the, the, US, the, oh, US the US small sounders. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. so we actually... You know, we're kind of talking about sharing some yeah, marketing and, yeah, okay. and all that kind of stuff. So we were just friendly. That's all. Yeah. Just uh, and he was, but he went out of his way to help us do that and get started. But that's the process. So yeah, was there other discussions? <laughs> you bet there was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anybody that uh, uh, we 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 never. I don't think we met with Burian, but anything on the east side and then all the way south. If we hadn't have got going, then we met with Kent. They got excited. We started from that point, and we literally met once a week for 18 months, and uh, the building was darn near done. And that's that's wow, what that's happened. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And they did it in 18 and in less like in two years. Wow. That's their city process, their public process, and everything. Like it was, uh, you, you'd study that. Uh, you know, a call like, you normally would consider four years to be a real fast path. Yeah, yeah. and they oh, did yeah. in two years. We walked in the week after they came back from their retreat from their new city council, and one of their goals was they wanted to build a re- build a regional gathering place and we came in and said geez we're looking for a home and that combination of the anchor tenant made it pencil and is that when the commons the, 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 the Kent station over there came into it, and? that gave them the confidence yeah. it had just been done a year and a half before so it's a perfect so location it's yeah. a perfect location and it was such a revitalizer for downtown Kent that that gave them real the city council real confidence to yeah. do that and how important was it to keep the team regional here in the Puget Sound area was there well talks for our going? ownership group it was and that was the whole point but as everyone came in it was to keep in Seattle the area but to be if we hadn't have been able to do it we probably would have been the team in Victoria I, I love the politics talk but let's talk some hockey <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously the the 2017 group was a special group um, as far as winning the championship but it obviously started a lot earlier when did you when did you kind of realize that you might have a special opportunity to win the WHL with that group? I mean, obviously the year before was pretty close, but does it start to map out like four years ahead of time or? Well, three years ahead of time. I mean, we drafted, uh, you know, we drafted Bear, Colsar, Barzell, um, all in the same draft. And we had Grop the year before. So we had a, you know, it's so hard now to get that concentration of talent together because it's, you know, competitive and, and finally scouted. So we had those extra picks. We traded Nobles for two first round picks and that gave us two first round picks a couple of years. So that, that kind of gave us that concentration of guys. And so then we started to focus on that age group, put the team together and we, we made the coaching change and Steve came and the first year was rocky. There's no doubt, but he really stuck to his guns and what he wanted and how he wanted guys to play. And that, uh, and that also was a big piece to, you know, to putting together. A, we had a group of talent, but we also had a you know, a pretty firm guy in place to kind of lay the groundwork, and we had a special group of guys. Were there any uh, surprises from that group, like people that weren't necessarily drafted in the first couple rounds of the Bantam draft, but kind of came through that, well, like Enzer 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 was a real good guy. He was a free agent, um, you know, and we didn't get many guys out of that Denver 
area. We had a few. Muma didn't stay with us that long, but we uh, um, Ents, Ents was a real, real important. But I, I don't think uh, I can't. Uh, I'll forget somebody. Sure, but you know, <laughs> it just did. It, it. We worked to put that group together, and we anything we traded for or added, we were we were focused. In both those years, you went to the finals. You had some interesting decisions. You know, we see the last two years ago, whenever it was, when the WHO went crazy. Swift and all those guys made all those trades. How was there ever a temptation? I mean, you made you made you made tweaks to those two teams that turned out to be really good. You didn't have to give up too many assets. Was there was there ever a, a, a temptation to make a huge splashy trade? Well, uh, there's temptation, but you know <laughs> the thing it's what's different today, and and uh, the prices are in those days when when the teams were run by owner operators, and uh, you always had to have an eye. That's great. You wanted to win this year, but you also had to sell tickets next year and you had to be in business and you had to so you didn't see that kind of you couldn't wholesale your and you couldn't trade draft picks for three years down the road it's it's a new animal now the ownership structures are different and and so you see some you know we've seen cases where teams trade their entire future for three four years down the road and that that just didn't happen but but, but the difference was it, guys had to you had to be you had to break even be able to sell tickets you had to have a product because you you didn't have that there were very there weren't teams that were that you know as wealth now it's a whole different animal the ownership structures are way different so you didn't see those deals and the prices never people wouldn't pay what they pay now and i'd heard a rumor the the year that you guys went to the finals against brandon that you guys are pretty close to getting jake debraska it's been a couple of years now is that a true rumor that he was almost coming here you ended up uh, making we, the trade with for both for, with, with we Swift, bargained but. pretty hard on Debrusque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was in the um, you know there was discussion. Did Red Deer eventually just offer more? I think we had to you know we wanted Bo and. Uh, and it just, uh, yeah, I think that's how, you know, how it went. There was a limit on what we could. So you, you won here in Seattle in a big market, and you won in Medicine Hat. How different is it to do that? Obviously, the league has changed, as you mentioned. Is it different winning it here? It's It was harder here, but I don't think it's, it's it, it was the, you know, you're a little more focused, and the guys are focused. Montreal's, or Montreal, uh, uh, playing in Medicine Hat is like Kamloops or or somewhere like that, where, where you're such the focal of the, when Kamloops was really rolling, I mean, they were, people used to say they were a, a little Montreal uh, <laughs> uh, because, you know, you were so much the heart of it. And that's kind of way Medicine Hat was. And, and uh, so it was a little different. Um, the challenges were different, uh, you know, but they were a little, they're similar to Seattle now in that uh, our travel was, because we were way more central, we didn't quite have the wear and tear that those teams on the outside edges did. And, you know, in those days when I was, we used to cross the mountains twice, you know, because we only had 11 teams. And, and, and so it was, a, you know, a different, different that way. Um, and like I say, the scouting was, it wasn't, you could, you could find players. Like in those days, you used to go to camp. You actually went to camp to pick your team because you had questions and you had guys that, you know, didn't know thoroughly, or guys that, that there was actually competition for spots. Now um, you come in, you know, really close because there's no other guys. I mean, some team. I don't know if I, I heard a rumor Vancouver hardly even had a training camp here. They just came in and started to practice. You know, because they didn't. <laughs> they brought back so many guys. Yeah. They brought back so many, and they yeah. didn't have any. They traded away their young guys, so there was no yeah. decisions to make. <laughs> And and very seldom, and we we were down here even to where you only had forty guys compared. So so what what I'm saying is, in those days, you used to go to camp. You actually used to find one or two players. You know, uh, Dale Kushner, who was a good guy on our team in those days. I mean, he was a free agent. He came from Terrace. Well, who the hell knew those guys? I mean, <laughs> they were way up there. There was no video or anything, and you had to. Mark Fitzpatrick was uh, from from uh, Kitimat and you know you had to yeah you had to get them together you didn't know who you had till they got there so it, it was just different so about nine years ago the NHL starts there's rumblings about the NHL coming to Seattle um, what were your initial thoughts when when it started to percolate I guess well when I first heard the talk they t- actually talked about playing in key arena without you know <laughs> in key arena and I didn't take it seriously at all I, I didn't you know I didn't anyone who could say that um, and they wanted the NHL wanted Seattle so badly, but they would throw this out at a meeting. And guys like I remember Ed Snyder phoned me once, and what do you think of that Seattle? Gary Bettman says that, and and 
I said, it's just not going to happen here. Like, it's it's not going to happen in that building. You can't play the NHL in that building. Well, he really thinks it would work there. And so I, I remember getting in a, after the draft one year with a guy, and he said, well, we're, Kerry says we're coming to sell. He said, it won't work there. It's not going to work in that <laughs> building. And he got mad at me. Like, he just, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's going to... And, and I just I didn't I didn't take it seriously in that building. But this what we have today is not what that was then. This yeah. is a whole different. Other than that roof that they saddled those guys with, um, this is they're they're the big league operation, and they're they're coming. They're, they've Wait. really built come up with a building. So who who said that they were coming to Seattle or I, somebody? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I have a question about over the years how many different ownership groups kind of. Well, it wasn't the ownership. This door. was another team, but they wanted Seattle okay, in the yeah. league. It was a West Coast team, and <laughs> okay, they were okay. so sure. And they, you know, it, Gary says it'll work there, and, and it, it it wasn't going to work in that building. Any anyone who said they were coming to Seattle to play in Key Arena had never seen a game that was. Played. It had to be. <laughs> yeah, I always thought that had and to be a temporary because there was technically that vote in a desert town that that <laughs> went a certain way that kept them in Arizona. But um, so. In my recollection, there was about four or five different potential ownership groups before this latest one, the Oakview group, that was successful. Did any of those groups ever reach out to you? No, no. I, they floated that guy in Chicago that owns Levin, the, yeah. yeah. Um, and he came out, he met with a few people here. He had someone looking to sell shares and stuff. Uh, um, I, I, yes, every once in a while you'd hear someone would, what it took was what we have now. I yeah. mean, a really deep, well, you know, well-financed group. And then they bring in a real good operator to put it together. I mean, that w- there was never a group with this, this kind of vision or wherewithal um, before or commitment. Well, these guys, they, everything that comes up, they just plow over top of it. Every problem, I mean, it just. But they, even one of those costs a little more, and so uh, <laughs> you got to give them credit. I mean, it's it's been really impressive to watch. Have you been down to the uh, to the arena site? No, I'm just curious what your thoughts are, having been a tenant there with well, the hockey I've team. Well, I've heard it's just a hole there now. <laughs> Pretty much what it is right now, yeah. Started, yeah, but you know, I, I it's going to be really, really impressive. You know, if you've been and lived in that place before, just to imagine a state-of-the-art building sitting on that site under that, it's going to be impressive. So, did you ever have concern that the NHL team would kind of eat into your customer base and kind of take business away? Only if um, the one thing we talked about here by keeping the building six thousand and below that we thought that would inoculate us a bit, and our problem was or what what we saw if if someone came in not really well you know put together and well led and they started out and it didn't go well and they were drawn 12,000 people and you know what happens in those cases the owner comes in and says get some people in here and I don't want to be embarrassed and they started wholesaling tickets that was our worry yeah. you know when the Sonics were really good and we played in the same building they, they filled up for their games we were filling up you know we had pretty good crowds for ours when we were first in there but we never had a problem when they dipped and they weren't very good then they started to wholesale their t- even though we were different sports away deals they were discount. selling their groups for 18 bucks and that killed us because people just looking for a 20 dollar night right, right. Yeah. there yeah. was companies that were taking their staff out and they were coming to our games yeah. um, before and all of a sudden they could get Go the, to the and we now, actually yeah. our staff saw the basketball group sales guys would come to our games and make a list of who our groups uh. were and then they'd go back and <laughs> contact them because they they were desperate. They had to get people, and, but that that really hurt us. So if if we ever got in a situation here where the team didn't do well and they started to wholesale their tickets, that would really hurt us and Everett. Well, it makes you wonder if you know maybe one of those other groups that maybe wasn't the well-oiled machine and, and doing the investments right, if they would have kind of run into that problem with with kind of the wholesale ticket yeah. prices because they're shopping kind of in the discount bin right i mean i i was supportive of any nhl coming here but at the same time yeah, like, this group isn't going this group is not they're going to well, spend to the cap right <laughs> yeah. but and i but i right from when we that when we are one of our first meetings with todd i mean that's our concern he said look we're we're going to come out of the gate more in line we said 
you know, one of the top two or three teams. <laughs> and, he, and he said, we have to be. We, we're spending this much. We have to. And that put our mind at ease. I mean, we're not. We're at a totally different for two NHL games, you can buy season tickets here. Yeah. So we're we're a totally different animal. We have free parking. We have you can go home, get your family, get here. None of those things are the same up there. So I think we're going to get along really well, and I think uh, we wish them nothing but success. And it feels like they've made a really good effort, a concerted effort to work with you guys, partners, not competitors. Have you felt that? Has that, has that been reassuring? I think that's his way, though. I think he's a real, mm-hmm. he's a classy guy, and he he wants everything to go well so yes he's been real positive and we haven't even tried that many things yet um marketing wise but i think we will and i think we'll uh we'll we'll do some things together well in a way you know when i first moved here it was 2001 and i realized how or 2004 i realized how kind of fertile the market was compared to where i grew up in northern california before the Sharks came in. And and I think a lot of that has to do with the Thunderbirds, right? And to lesser extent, Everett, right? Because Everett came in certainly later. But I, I think you laid these ground roots of hockey, whether it probably still felt like relatively small in the grand scheme of th- things of the Seattle sports market, but you laid the groundwork. And I think that's why, in a way, they've had such a success with the ticket drive because there was a, there was a, 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 a base here of people. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't You're not think trying so. To. <laughs> I think we 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 carved out our own niche and our own group and I think there was hockey, but then it reached such a stagnant place because of no ice rinks mm. that people didn't get to experience and play the game and actually they weren't hungering for the game, if that's even a word. And uh <laughs> and and uh the the you know, the situation was, I think their success has been all the people from other places that have moved here that love the game and wanted tickets. And I, I think you'll that's see. A, that's a And I think point. there's a lot of, uh, uh, and the, the strength of the business community here, the economy drove and the ability for them to buy those corporate tickets because it's a good, exciting night. Um, I think they're an easier ticket. To, to use for that purpose and stuff. And so I think they sold a lot of tickets that way. I think there's a lot of hockey fans that moved to the community. It would be really interesting how many on that list are long-time Native. Seattle yeah. people yeah. because they never experienced the game. And we we used to shake our heads even. We've been here once we were down here 10 years, and you'd still bump into people that had never been to a hockey game. And we, we couldn't, you know, our people work hard to do their stuff, and that's so discouraging. Like, <laughs> God, you've never been to a hockey game. What do you, and you still hear that all the time years, here. Yeah. So, so I don't know if I say we've, um, you know, I think. You had something to do with it. The I mean, idea yeah. that it can't work because it's not a hockey community is ridiculous. And I think that's maybe what we proved because you once people get into it and experience it, they like it. And yeah. there's no way that it's not going to work. And I think, uh, but the real strength of it is the NHL wanted it so bad because of the place on the map. I think the size of the media market and uh, the strength of the economy right now, and so that drove it. But I, I don't think I, there, I think there's a lot of probably Everett and Thunderbird people on that waiting list. But at the end of the day, when they have to write those checks for those tickets, I think they'll probably sift down and they'll have they'll go with other someone else and they'll end up with six to eight tickets and we're still going to have them as fans yep. and yep. i don't think we're going to lose that many to uh, uh to them because i just don't think they're the same price point yeah so few of our people are able to do that you talk about how you guys still after being here for they're still educating people that there's hockey here and been hockey here for 40 years uh do you think because i look at junior hockey compared to like ncaa football right when you look at as far as how close these players are to the top of that sport um why do you think it's not is it just because hockey hasn't been as embedded in this region for as long that's why people don't give this well i don't think it, it's it's similar to that ncaa thing other than those football players and stuff are 22 and 23 years old people don't quite grasp how quick hockey players get there and the idea that this 17 year old they're watching here like when when 
the Times finally did a big story about Patrick Marlowe and started to compare him to Ken Griffey Jr. and talk about how what a talent he was. We never got him back after that. They, they did it that summer, and we thought he was going to be here to play at 18, and he made the team. So, you know, we never got the benefit of that, and, and that's kind of people... Um, yeah, yes, it is the one step below in that way similar, but, but people getting the understanding that, that how young our guys are and still they're one step away from playing pro hockey, it, it's still something they're not uh, used to and stuff. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's why they come anyway. It's an exciting, you either get into it or you don't, and it's an exciting brand. And our, our hockey's exciting because we make more mistakes than them, yep. and that, you know, that makes for exciting <laughs> yeah, situations. There's comebacks but, and there's crazy swings, yeah. 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 I've always thought the name junior hockey for the uninitiated might, because I hear junior hockey and they think, oh, these are little kids. But you've got 6'8 guys, 6'6 six, six guys, you know, Tyrell Bauer well, that's at 16. That's why like we don't man. see that yeah. <laughs> in, in any of our marketing yeah. and, and stuff because it did hurt a bit. And that actually was why in our league uh, we were the first to go to the major as opposed to junior hockey um, title. And it was more just a matter of, uh, perception. All right, big thanks to Russ for yeah. taking time and, out of his busy schedule. And Ian Henry yep. for yep. lining yep. that up. Yep. yep. Uh, good stuff there, and uh, and you guys did a good job. Well done. Well, thanks. Yeah. We'll move on to some segments, uh, and no, we are not going to start with Goal Gear Corner this week, much oh, to the chagrin no. of, I'm sure, all of our listeners. Uh, yeah. We are instead going to start with a buy, sell, or hold. We haven't had buy, sell, or hold on the show for a little while, so uh, good to get back into this here. Our first buy, sell, or hold, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, coming into the year, you would have thought 100% playoff team, but they haven't exactly gotten off on the right foot here this year. Uh, do we believe that they are a playoff team? Buy, sell, or hold, John? They are a buy in my book. Uh, they're definitely playing a lot better. They, they've they got a lot of games at hand with the, the teams in front of them. Um the question becomes who's out if they're in, and that's gets a little trickier, right? Toronto's playing better, obviously, since Philadelphia's playing a little bit over their head, Pittsburgh. So I think like one of those, Philadelphia, Carolina, or Pittsburgh, are, are the ones out with Tampa Bay going in. So uh, And that's kind of at least in the wild card spot. But I think they're a buy. Yeah, I think I think I have to buy too. There's just too much talent on that team, and you know they have a good goal, a goal differential. And as John mentioned, they're three points behind Toronto in the division, and they've got what four games in hand. So they're still in this. You know that that's you know pretty close. Uh, but you're right though, John. I mean, somebody's got to fall out. You know, is, is it going to be Florida who's playing better now? Uh, you know, is it Philadelphia? Those are kind of teams I would watch. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh with their injury with Crosby out. You know, how much do they do they suffer there? Uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting to watch. But yeah, there's just I just think there's just too much on that team. I mean, that would be shocking to that a team that talented not make the playoffs. Yeah, I think it would too, which is why I too am a buy. Um, I, I mean, part of me wants to see a changing of the guard a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, even though they haven't actually accomplished anything. <laughs> but I mean, they've kind of been seen as the the cream of the crop in the NHL the last couple of years in terms of the talent that they have. And, you know, last year they had a historic season in terms of the number of points and wins that they had. So they're too talented and just too good of a team to bet against them. And so uh, I think I have to be a buy on that as well. And there's still a lot of hockey left here too. Right? Yeah. I mean, they got 50 games or so left or 49 games left. So. Yeah. John, is your, are the Philadelphia Flyers, is that your hot dish? That is my team? Hot, yeah. Man, they are currently sitting number three in the uh, Metropolitan Division. So they are in a playoff spot, which could mean that you get a free hot dish. How are the Rangers? How are the Devils doing? My, my team, where, where are they at? Uh, uh, they are second They're doing to really last. good, right? They're really, really let me, good. Let me tell you. I mean, I watched them give up a three-on-one on a power play there. You're buying so a hot pretty, dish. That was pretty you impressive. Know, <laughs> the New York Rangers, my team, they're not that far out of it. They're 13-9-3. Yeah. and three. They are just a couple spots out of a out of a wild game. And really, let's see. So the wild card currently is Carolina and Pittsburgh. New York Rangers are in third place in that race. So they're, I mean, they're right there. But, but how, about, how about the Devils? Uh, the Devils <laughs> are in hot second dish. to last in the entire but, league. But so. they got P.K. Subban. Uh-huh, yep. Doesn't look good. Uh, moving on to our next buy, seller hold, the Arizona Coyotes. Do we believe that the Arizona Coyotes are a playoff team? Weren't we here last year with them? We are here every year yeah. with them. Yeah. <laughs> every, like year. A, yeah. every year. Out of the pod. Yes, uh, which is two. I'm, so, yes, last year. I'm going to hold. I think they're, they, they're very similar to how they were last year. They've got great goaltending. It's hard to score on them, but it's also hard for them to score. But they do have a plus goal differential, and Phil Kessel's done little to nothing so far for them. So, if he heats up... I could I could buy, but okay. he hasn't done that yet. So he heats I'm up like a hot dog. Oh, oh good one. John, Arizona. Uh, I was gonna hold, but since Andy 
is holding. I'm going to sell. <laughs> I think I think they're getting really good goaltending, and I don't know if it's sustainable. Yeah. And I think with Vegas, Nashville, and even Minnesota's playing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are a bit better. I think they're in danger of what? slipping. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Wait, sneaking a little? Why are you so surprised? Yeah, yeah, they are. No, he was he wanted he wants to talk about the Wild. No, I, well, do I want to talk about the Wild? I don't know. They're playing a lot better, which part of me is like concerned about that because I actually want them to get a high draft pick this year, which they've never gotten before. So, I don't know. Oh, uh, Miko Koivu did score seven his 700th point in his 1,000th game today, which I thought was pretty cool. And he scored the game-winning goal in the shootout. So, that was great. Impressive. Yeah. Let's Hashtag put it minutia. in that. Okay. We'll come back to it if you so desire. I do. Okay. And I, I'm going to I'm gonna hold on Arizona. I think you guys are kind of commenting negatively on, on the sustainability of their goaltending, but I always stand by the opinion that you have to have two legitimate goalies. And I think they have two legitimate goalies there in Auntie Ranta and Darcy Kemper. There might so. be a future crap weasel on that team. Potentially. Well, there is, yeah. but it there's, might be the goalie. There's two two solid netminders there, so you never know. Our next buy, sell, or hold, Thanksgiving weekend tradition of the future, Vancouver at <laughs> Seattle or vice versa. Do you believe that this is something that the NHL could uh, potentially put on the docket, John? Are we talking on Thanksgiving or, for, or Black Friday? Uh, Black Friday. Okay. Or it, you know, it doesn't matter as long as Thanksgiving it's the weekend. weekend. Yeah, I, I want guess. it. I want a tradition. I probably not the only one that watched a lot of football on Thanksgiving Day. I actually watched some of the hockey game that was on that day. Oh, did you? Yeah, hmm. a little bit. Uh, but the next day I was watching, there was a lot of college football on. I was watching some of that, including the Apple Cup. But there was a ton of hockey mm-hmm. on, and it started early and it went all day, which I thought was awesome. And I said, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a, a tradition here in Seattle and have a game against Vancouver as kind of a rivalry game? Mm-hmm. And I tweeted it, and people really liked the idea. Now, a lot of people brought up some conflicts with the Apple Cup, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes sense, but not all of us went to either Washington State or Washington Mm -hmm. or our But the Apple Cup, is that a daytime event or a nighttime event? Well, it's rotated. Sometimes The the problem is the TV varies, and and so you don't know at the beginning of the year. In hockey, they don't have like a TVD time for Mm -hmm. a lot of these things, and Mm -hmm. you probably would want to stagger it, right, right. to make sure people Either have the opportunity. Either afternoon versus yeah. evening and So whatever. whatever it is, I think I'm a, obviously a strong buy because I want well, I would be an awesome idea, tradition. You think yeah. it was a... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, uh, what's interesting is <laughs> Toronto played in Buffalo on Friday as okay. well. Mm-hmm. So during the day, mm-hmm. and it seems like it's kind of a tradition there, and there was a couple other Canadian teams that were playing mm-hmm. day games in the U.S. On the road, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I heard a lot from the Vancouver audience, at least on Twitter, that they don't get off work, so they don't want to do it. So we, one also, thing, we also don't care about them. Yeah, I know. I'm like, well, I don't want you in our arena anyway. Well, so one thing I thought was cool is other people suggested that on Canadian Thanksgiving, there's a day game in October up in up in Vancouver, and then the U.S. Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving oh. weekend there would be one in the U.S. So like a home and home kind of a thing on the two holidays. Yeah, yeah. I thought that would I be like kind of cool. I think that's pretty interesting. And, I like and it a there lot. are on that Canadian Thanksgiving, there are U.S. teams that go up and play during the day mm. in Canada. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm a sell because it's oh. your idea, and so I just can't <laughs> give it any, wow. any weight. Perfect. <laughs> Harsh. On brand. On brand, Darren. <laughs> wow. In the spirit of Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, I'm all for it. I want to buy. Okay. Our final buy seller hold, Taylor Hall gets moved before the trade deadline from New Jersey. Do we believe this? I know well, that there's uh, suddenly <laughs> some suddenly some smoke around yeah, this. Apparently they are listening to offers on Taylor Hall, mm-hmm. who's in the last year of his contract. Uh, this would hurt my, my hot dish. Um, it would. <laughs> I don't think it's going to save your hot dish either. <laughs> I don't think so either, but I'm going to buy. I think I think they'll get, they would get a lot for him. Yeah. And they've got a young, even they want to build around Jack Hughes and, and uh, Nico Heischer. Right. Um, so why not load up with some more young young prospects or picks? Well, it all comes down to that age old question, right? Can you sign the guy? And I, it feels more and more like they can't. So the fact that they're starting to listen to offers right. makes it maybe think that maybe they're thinking they can't. And maybe he's kind of given them an indication. This is complete speculation, but maybe he's yeah. given them an indication at this point that he's maybe not interested in signing. I don't know. I think I think that's that's already out there that he's he's a strong. He's not going to sell or mm. not going to sign. So. Well, then you have to trade him. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Exactly. I'm a I'm a strong buy 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 yeah. buy. Me too. Uh, we now move on to our bye-bye-bye in sync reference. I did that last time we That's did right. yeah, buy-seller holds. So now moving on to our weekly... Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. I want to do a let's get quizzical. Oh, uh, that's not in the show notes. I can't allow that. I know, but I didn't want to give you guys any prep. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, great. That, that, All right, good. So, so, so look like idiots just yeah, throwing out here names. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. As Darren pointed out, Miko Koivu played his uh, thousandth NHL game on Sunday and scored his 700th point. 
Okay. I like where this is going. Yep, I know. It's a little minutiae. <laughs> I feel like this, that somebody may have more of an advantage in this quizzical. Mm. I wouldn't count on it. Okay. Uh, among <laughs> among active Finnish players in the NHL, Miko Ooh. has played the most games. Okay. okay. Who is second and third among Finnish NHLers in the league? Currently active. Ooh. Second and third Finnish players. Yikes. Auntie Niemi. <laughs> I don't think he's active. But, <laughs> but no. Auntie he's Niemi. Finnish. Yeah. He is Finnish. Uh, Man, I'm drawing a blank. Um, I, think, I mean, this is hard, but I think it's a... I don't think Barkoff in Florida has played long enough. No. Line is too young. We're going to have to go for some hints, I think. Okay. Yeah. He was on the Islanders last year. Val Filpula. That's correct. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Okay. He, he's 977 games. Okay. He's a year behind uh, Koivu. So. Okay. Um, you still right. have a name the third most. Right. This is definitely some Fenusha. We, we got a hint. Fenusha. <laughs> we got a hint for the Islanders, right? So yeah. now, what's your hint on the other player? He's played his entire career with the same team. Miko Koivu. Sako Koivu. And he's a goalie. Oh. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. oh uh, Pekarine. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> All right, so two yeah. to nothing. Uh, okay, can we active. move on? Can we, we move can, on to our uh, weekly one timers now? Thank you now? for the finusha. <laughs> weekly oh, one timers. Miko Rantanen is back. Speaking of Finns, right? <laughs> yep. Is he Finnish? Right. Sure. Yep. Uh, four points in his first game. That's not bad. No. Yeah, and, and boy, you know, the Avalanche, they hung in there with those injuries. I know. They, they didn't really sink too much. Uh, they're right in the thick of the central, the stacked or rugged or whatever you want to call it, yep. central division. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, they are in second place right now in the central division behind the defending champion, St. Louis Blues, but also not that far clear of, like, falling into that wild card bubble. They're yeah, just uh, but now a they got points up. back, and they still are waiting on Landis Gog, and, and Kel McCarr seemed to have picked up some of the slack. Yeah. Pretty nicely. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's leading all rookies and scoring. Yeah. Uh, our next weekly one-timer, Tyson Berry, who was struggling quite mightily under Coach Babcock. This is also a leaflet. Uh, <laughs> <Or loose> leaf. <laughs> scores scores in all three games uh, under Sheldon. His first three games under Sheldon Keefe. So uh, well, that kind of says something, doesn't yeah, it? Clearly, Keefe has fixed him. No, but I mean, <laughs> you know, we we do the thing where where we're like, oh, you know, they won three games in a row, so obviously they've he's come in and fixed it. But like that speaks to to some. It's usage, and that was part of the criticisms of Babcock is how he was using certain players. And right. I think Barry was one of the ones that was being uh, complained about. Yeah, and I mean Barry's new to that team this year, and obviously he was a big big acquisition for them so for him to be struggling and then all of a sudden you bring in a new coach and the new coach is uh immediately gets so him involved offensively he, I don't, I, toronto fans could probably answer better than i could but was he struggling or was he just not being used properly it's probably or like what, a is combination the, yeah, right like yeah. he wasn't being used properly therefore so struggling. therefore was struggling yeah. is what i would guess but some causation right there yeah yeah it's chicken or the egg kind of stuff <laughs> our next weekly one-timer Restricted free agents, Jesse Pulja, Jer, Pulja. <laughs> Come on, he was third overall, wasn't he? Or and fourth. Julius Honka, they do not sign contracts, meaning that they are not eligible to play in the NHL this season. Uh, is this what we expected to happen? I feel like that's not quite... I mean, I know that Pulja Jarvi, Pulja Jarvi left on kind of strange terms, right? Where he's like, I'll never play in Edmonton again and this kind of stuff. It kind and of felt like he might get traded. Yeah, but they it didn't, didn't trade him. It seemed like he was going to go to Edmonton. But... It's kind of a stick it to him kind of a move yeah. from Edmonton and to not having, trade him. I, I believe he's having a decent year over there. Well, yeah, you'd He's having a good year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's having a really good year uh, now. Remember, he's RFA. So I, he could I only think, sign with his team. At right, time. unless he yeah, traded. Yeah. But um, they act like they're going to stay there, right? We Or they're going to play there all year, right? We had the same issue with uh, Nylander last year. Although, was Nylander playing or was he just sitting He there? was playing somewhere, okay. uh, like in Switzerland or something. But I kind of expected him to eventually kind of come to terms, but mm-hmm. it didn't happen. Honka is kind of up and down like a for Dallas and yeah he was never really a... yeah so that that was like a little off my radar it wasn't until it was reported that I'm like oh yeah that guy's over there yeah still. well I, I kind of forgot about Julius Honka yeah so even though I covered him when he was in the WHL yeah so anyway I expect PRV to be back in the NHL some someday probably next year think. but um anyway he's not coming back this year our final weekly one-timer Whoops. In the Leafs-Red Wings game this past week, Jimmy Howard left with an injury, and he has been placed in IR now. And then Jonathan Bernier, who apparently had, like, the flu or something like that, <laughs> comes in in relief after Ber- after Howard gets hurt, and he ends up stopping 37 of 40 shots. It's a 6-0 loss for the Red Wings, but still a pretty, like, heroic performance by a guy to come in with the flu. Uh, we mentioned Michael Jordan earlier in the show, right? 
brings thoughts of Michael Jordan's flu game, except uh-huh. uh, if you had Michael Jordan's team losing by, like, 50. Yes. <laughs> How many saves would you make if you had the flu and you were playing goalie? Uh, well, in the NHL, I probably yeah. wouldn't make that many saves, but... <laughs> Yeah. So do we know how long Jimmy Howard's uh, going to be out for? I only ask because I think he could be a, a trade target for several teams come deadline. Yeah, I think he could. Um, Jeff Bashill, their coach, said he doesn't think he's going to be out that long. But interestingly, they did actually acquire a depth goaltender, Eric Comrie from Arizona. So that's kind of interesting, right? They say eh, it's not that long of a thing, but then they actually do acquire a goalie. But, but it Comrie could... was, in the, was in the AHL, I believe. Yeah. yeah, he was. But he could support your theory about them getting rid of Howard, so they're yes. going to need somebody to come in there anyway. Comrie, of course, yeah. former Tri-City American. Yeah. Uh, that wraps up this week's weekly one-timers. Whoops. Yeah, totally a Tri-City American. That's yep. exactly what I thought <laughs> when I saw Good that train go through. Mm-hmm. I think I remember I him, too. I talked to him twice yeah. when he was in WHL. We close out the show with games on the radar, and I just wanted to make a note that my game on the radar last week was like kind of a game of the year contender because it oh, was awesome. I mean, the way that it shook out, because I had Vegas against Nashville. Uh, Vegas tied the score with Nashville with .3 seconds left in the game and then won in overtime. Pretty good. Predictably, it was a really, really fun game to watch. I watched so, it. I yeah. watched it. Patch ready, right? So what do we have this week, Andy? Uh, so I have uh, uh, Wednesday mm-hmm. in Toronto, uh-huh. the Maple Leafs, uh-huh. Leaflets, uh-huh. Loose Leafs, against the Colorado Avalanche. Ooh. Both teams, two teams that we have talked about on this podcast. There you go. That Original six? Good. No. No. Okay. That should be if it's well. It's, it's, it used to be a really good Canadian matchup <laughs> when they was the Quebec Nordiques. You're right about that. Um, I'm wearing my Quebec Nordiques hat that's, as that's we speak. Right. In See, fact. it's all synergy. Yeah. Um, it all comes back. But yeah, you know, we just talked about uh, the Colorado getting a little bit healthier, and the Maple Leafs have been on an uptick since they made the coaching change. So that should be a good one. Yep. And John. Your game on the radar? Avalanche okay. at Bruins. Enough avalanche. <laughs> Enough avalanche talk we, we here. A... So the Bruins are probably the best team in the NHL right now, and so I think uh, it should be a good benchmark for Avalanche, and especially with you Randon back. You could say this is a potential Stanley Cup final matchup preview. You could say that, but people say that all the time, and it never happens. So, um, <laughs> I'm saying Or it's just a game on Saturday, yeah, December 7th at 4 p.m. between really good teams. Yeah. We don't have a funny nickname for Avalanche talk. We need to, we need to probably work on that. Uh, I don't think we do. Yeti a names, weekly Yeti. downslide, a weekly hmm. Yeti no. more news. Yeti, Yeti. No. You guys not gonna, take not us work offline. No. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, you mentioned Boston. David Pasternak has 24 goals in 26 games and also 17 assists. So yes, it's unbelievable. 41 points in 26 games. Like, what? What do we think he's going to end up at? Give me a buy seller hold here. 60 goals for David Pasternak. I'm going to sell. Okay. Only because something's going to happen. Get hurt or something. Miss mm. games. Okay. He did, he did, he's he did miss some voice, games last, he's last gonna year. He's going to get some voicemails that he's going to have to call back. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to buy that because we haven't had a 60-goal scorer in quite a while. That's so. another reason to sell. No, that's more reason to buy. <laughs> Good odds. Yeah, I'm going to buy just because of where he's at at this stage of the season. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We agreed. Yeah, I know. I'm buying as well. I didn't think we agreed too well, often. Okay, no, last, time he, last time he went against you, just, yeah, just, just to spite me. against you. <laughs> My game on the radar, by the way, is uh, Winnipeg at Dallas. Both teams are kind of in the thick of it there in the stack central division. Uh, so that's Thursday, December 5th at 5.30 Pacific time. I don't know why you're shaking your head and laughing at me, but uh, they're two good teams, <laughs> two fun teams to watch. It's both. We've discussed this. Okay. This wraps up the Brad Marchand episode it. of... <laughs> Sound of Hockey. Thank you again to Russ Farwell and the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds for helping us uh, get that interview set up. And thank you to B. Kennedy 24601 for (laughs) the five-star review. (laughs) And uh, we will talk to you all next week for episode 64. Thanks so much. Two, four, six, oh!